0: Welcome to Cloud and Clear, the podcast by Sada for innovative business leaders and technology enthusiasts, where we explore how Google Cloud is transforming the industry and what that means to you. Now, here's your host, Miles Ward. Hi, everybody. My name is Miles Ward. I'm CTO here at Sada Systems, and this is Cloud and Clear. I am super excited to introduce Paul Friedman, who is doing pretty interesting stuff with data at a company called Streetlight Data. Paul, maybe you can introduce yourself.
1: Sure, I'm Paul Friedman, co-founder and CTO of Streetlight Data. And what we do is we offer transportation data to um, governments of all sizes, from the small city of San Mateo up to the U.S. Department of Transportation to help them do urban planning and management of the transportation resources they have much more efficiently. Planning bus routes and highway usage and, you know, traffic light timing and all sorts of uses for our data. And yeah, we are a data as a service company. We've been cloud native now since we started eight years ago. yeah, we've been real happy with Google Cloud and Sata. Oh, that's awesome.
0: Uh, how, you know, you, you, we had talked a bit, you had said you were a founder at the business. What, you know, what do you see your role, your, your principal focus? What, what's critical to your engagement with Streetlight?
1: Well, Laura and I sort of divide the world in half. If it's technical and technology, it sort of falls under my bailiwick. If it's business or sort of product vision, um, or anything customer-related, it goes It goes to her. So um, I'm responsible for our overall system architecture, cloud architecture, um, some of the core algorithms I've coded into the product. Um, some customer projects where they're looking to push the boundaries of what our system can do um, will end up in my lap, um, things like that.
0: Oh, that's... That is super fun. Uh,
1: It is. And nobody, no direct reports. I just get to play with the code, play with the cloud and have a lot of fun.
0: Oh, that is perfect. Yeah. It can, management is its own, is its own operational complexity. There's
1: no doubt of that. Indeed.
0: That architecture, right? You designed a system to be able to serve all of these municipalities and government Mm -hmm. buyers. And, you know, those are complicated stakeholders. What, what kinds of decisions went into the architectural design to accommodate their expectations?
1: Well, at the end of the day, I mean, we're de- our, we are deliver it via SaaS application mm-hmm. that is self-service for all of those customers. But underlying that is location data that's streaming in from you know app-enabled smartphones. Over 60 million of them are in our network right now in the US and Canada. And we ha- have been processing data over the last several years somewhere in the, uh, I don't know, maybe five to six petabyte range. And to do that, you absolutely have to have, you know, more than just a rack of servers. Like you need to real bring some real hardware to bear to do that, um, both on the inbound data ingest, as well as taking that processed result and serving a result up to the customers efficiently. And That's where Google Cloud comes in.
0: Uh, you know, I, I used to run a part of the business there that was for solutions architecture. So I've seen just a couple of these kinds of flowcharts of you plug mm-hmm. this thing into that thing. Maybe walk our, our audience through what are, the, what are the major building blocks in the architecture? How do they work together?
1: Sure. Um, so the data ingest all happens in Google Cloud Storage. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where we're keeping all of these data files compressed that we buy from our data partners um and they're continuously pushing that data to a 7 by 24. Mm -hmm. from there we have basically sort of you know i like to think of it as a blast furnace that takes all that raw data and sort of smelts it into something useful Mm -hmm. um and that's where we you know can do burst workloads up to ten thousand cores at a time oh yeah and like you know shrink it back down to nothing So we do our processing monthly, so we'll take a month of that data at a time, just look at that data, clean it up, turn it from raw points into trips, lock it into the real world road network so we can understand, you know, looking at all of these pings off of devices, what was the path on the streets um, that people were taking, and do real time artificial intelligence on it. So we've got a machine learning system that does what we call mode inferencing where we look at a point and can tell, you know, assign probabilities of, is he walking, biking, in a car, on a bus, on a train, in an airplane, et cetera. Um, And that inferencing engine runs at about 20 to 30,000 inferences per second um, in the Google Cloud. And that's before we started using their TPU engine. We think we can jack that even higher uh, and save some cost off of that too. Um, Google's been making some changes. There's still an early alpha to beta that um, could really help us because we're not just doing a simple image process that they're optimized for. We're doing sort of more data inferencing. Got it. Um, f- from there, the data feeds into a really large distributed relational database. Um, it's running around 160, 200 terabytes. Um, It's on a 16-way sharded um, Postgres system um, with geospatial extensions added onto that. Um, That's floating at around 300 cores right now. And that's the core of the system that then computes um, the results to the questions that our customers are asking.
0: So that that ends up feeling like not only the sort of transactions of recording the individual requests from customers and keeping track of, uh, you know, of what it is that you owe them back in terms of response, but also doing the analytical processing, or is that kind of a a Well,
1: Well, there's three stages. There's the web application tier, Mm -hmm. there's a data services tier that sort of keeps track of the request. And then this is just a straight relational database of our reference data. It's Mm -hmm. really more follows a data warehouse pattern. Sure. where they're doing, you know, analytics on show me all the trips that went from this block in my city to that block in the city by the time of day, what were all the roads they took in between? How does that break down? What were their modes of travel or analyze my whole county all at once? And I want to see the flows broken up by the hour of the day, day of week. Um, you know, how people are moving and it lets them do, you know, predictions so that they can look at, um, Things like, okay, well, what if I have, have to close this road due to, you know, damage or something? If I need to detour or if there's an accident, mm. what will the ripple out impact be? Where will traffic naturally divert to?
0: Okay. Okay. What what other alternatives, you know, like, you know, there's a lot of different ways of storing a big block of data and grinding away at it. A bunch of mm-hmm. first party, third party services of all sorts, like, how yeah. Walk me through kind of the decision making and the analysis to to pick that.
1: Sure. Well, when we first built out this architecture it was about six years ago, mm-hmm. and back then the trend was everything no SQL MapReduce, no SQL MapReduce. Sure. So everything in text files, and just throw a lot of cores at it and let each core chew on a couple text files. Yep. Um. Fundamentally, our data is. Ch- really just five fields. We get device ID, timestamp, latitude, longitude, and then maybe what operating system the device has, and that's it. Mm-hmm. So we're very, very thin, but really tall. I mean, petabytes of that stuff. Yep. So having built-in geospatial intelligence, um, like at the lowest layers of our infrastructure is really core. And none of the NoSQL vendors had that. Um, also the inefficiencies of file parsing and file processing, as opposed to keeping things more natively, like relational databases do, um, landed us on PostGIS, which is Postgres with the GIS extensions. We benchmarked yeah. it. It was by far and away the most compute efficient and fastest solution. So we developed, on top of that, a sharded architecture and something that we call MapReduceReduce reduce, built on that architecture where we will map and distribute the queries out do an initial reduction on each of the shards pull the semi-reduced results back together to a middle tier do a final reduce and then push the result back to the customer oh. so oh, yeah okay it's much more compute efficient than using like a hadoop or something like that
0: yeah yeah that yeah I would imagine um, because of the, the kind of inbuilt, cause you're doing like spherical lookups and, and sort of distance ranging and yep. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm having all of those functions. Kind
1: Shortest of paths contained inside polygon. Um, you name a spatial operation, we use it somewhere.
0: Got it. Got it. Oh, that's, that's pretty fascinating. You, uh, you manage, uh, you you manage the Postgres end to end. You have a relationship with one of the management. We do members. it all
1: ourselves. Do it all yeah. ourselves because it's so tweaked and so custom um, for our install.
0: I mean, yeah, I've liked
1: where Amazon and Google have been going in terms of managed instances, but it's not for the scale. It's not for you know the extensions that we load into it, and mm-hmm. it's it is core to our business. Um, and so from by us doing that, we've had to build out a lot of the operational processes like. Backup and disaster recovery using the cloud architecture. And I've got to say, Thor and our ops team are just ridiculously amazing. Um, You know, plugging into a lot of that, especially using the SAN technology that cloud offerings give you. Um, You know, the latest benchmark is we can do a full DR, like shoot all the databases in the head, bring it up in a new region in under four hours. Yeah. And that's like 160, 200 terabyte database. Yeah. And like that's, you know.
0: Yeah, it's, it's serious. It's, 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 it's one of the. It's amazing.
1: Incredible. Like the, um, if you read any of Google's internal networking papers um, on their internal mesh architecture and cross switch architecture, you can do some amazing data movement things when you like really start spinning it up.
0: Yeah. I, I, uh, I built a system uh at AWS a long time ago uh that that saturated the east west networking for a little while as we moved <laughs> president obama's infrastructure from one side of the planet to the other uh and and so you know definitely am sensitive to you know the realities of the physical cabling between these places yep and with with google at uh you know whatever it's almost a petabit and a half a second bisectional which is a multiple yeah. of public internet it's like oh that is actually hugely useful in some of these corner cases that can really really yeah.
1: people up it, I, it I is and so it sort of lets us burst to these you know incredible you know speeds on it yeah
0: yeah i i wonder like you know i think i think we've definitely been in this sort of cycle where because the public clouds have all these managed services you know, you get analysts and pundits, you know, crying out that, you know, oh, the, the DBA job is over and we're not gonna need those every are like, Buddy. Not, not but even not in true. the real world, like, there are so well, many. It just, it
1: just moves up though. You know, like yeah. in the old days, when, you know, hard drives were five, 10 megabytes and then five, 10, you know, 50 and zeros keep getting added on, the definition of big just keeps moving. Yeah. So now if you've got like, a sub one terabyte database running on SQL server, totally go for a managed solution. But I remember in 1992, when Oracle first had, you know, a thousand TPS and a terabyte database, that was exotic technology. Yeah. Now, yeah, let somebody else manage it. So yeah, there are a lot of mom and pop DBAs, I think, whose jobs have been in jeopardy for a while. Sure. But it's just moving up. But then again, also, people are storing more data because mm-hmm. you can and it's cheaper too.
0: Yeah, no I think there's definitely spots where where that that set of skills, you know, as long as you're on board with the autodidact, you know, self-education stuff that's just so required, you know, mm-hmm. I I think a lot of people imagine like oh, the technology is changing and so uh, I'll be put out of a job and I'll have to go back to pa- flipping pancakes or having fun some other way. And you're like, no, 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 like you have 99% of what's required to take the very next step, and exactly. what's the very next step after that. Like, this is all being built by people who are trying to take those steps up the ladder. Like,
1: yeah, just don't stand still. That's how you right. get left behind.
0: That's right. That's right. What what has Streetlight data done internally, maybe around education and skills development and stuff like that?
1: Sure. So we set up Streetlight Edu, um, which is a department just around internal education. Um, it's got a staff of two full-time employees that are do that. Literally, is just internal education. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say probably three quarters of it is focused on. Educating our fields, so sales, sales engineers, um, SDRs, et cetera, on product capabilities as they come out, technical capabilities, Um, but as well as, you know, people come up with new algorithms or new innovations, pushing those out, recording those for future use. Um, You know, there's always a, a new training course popping up every two weeks.
0: Awesome. Yeah, no, we, we're we're just in the middle on in our teams of, of pulling, you know, kind of a second revision of that whole program together.
1: Yeah, it uh, helps onboarding and scale, too. You know, yeah. somebody new jumps in, oh, my God, like, well, start here, spend three days taking these classes and get up to speed on the company and what we do.
0: Yeah. What, you know, personally, maybe or with, uh, you know, maybe as a part of the team that you're working with, like, what do you think are the the next skills that you want to capture like where where do you think there's the biggest opportunity in in the markets that you're working in and the technologies that you're plugged into
1: for us it's something we we've been calling data engineers mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of data scientists that you know like to live in the clouds and just you know play in jupyter notebooks and that type of thing totally. it, And that's good, you know. If you work at a Procter and Gamble or GE or something, I'm sure there's a lot of jobs for that. But somebody who's got that sort of hard-to-find mashup of good SQL, good numeric, good statistical skills, as well as um, knowledgeable on, you know, current machine learning models and training, so that you can, you know, feed data in at scale, train something at scale. And then deploy something at scale, trying to find that sort of practical balance of somebody who has some combination, but at least a little piece of each of those three skill sets. Yeah, um, we're one one really of, focusing I, our hiring.
0: Yeah. One of my buddies uh, has coined the phrase data logistics. And I'm mm, like, yeah. yeah, that, there's a lot of that where you've got yeah. to plumb these things between different, you know, and, you know, you're at kind of one end of the spectrum being sort of purpose built and cloud native and, you know, there's the exactly. integration is likely like, you know, new customers, or new partners or things like that. Lots of companies, they have to, you know, go back into the morass of their existing gear and try to figure out how to pluck the goodness out of it.
1: Oh, yeah, that's I mean, ETL is just exploding. You know, now it's the new next generation cloud native ETLs that, um uh you know where all of that is going
0: yeah yeah no we've been doing um uh, my team ran a project uh together with the folks at Okado. they're a uh uh mm-hmm. e-tailer in in the UK and they had spent mm. i don't know an incredible amount of time and energy rebuilding a bunch of their etls in spark and spark is rad like spark is a giant move forward from from informatica or you know some blah, yep. kind of but uh, we were able to train them up on data flow and mm-hmm. showed them kind of what, you know, the reduction in boilerplate and just sort of simpler, terser definitions for all this stuff.
1: Yep, flow uh, computing.
0: Yeah, it's just incredible how much more straightforward thinking through these kinds of ETL problems is in that context. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, their their performance advantage was just massive, something like. Uh, you know, what they had been working on for six months, they kind of rebuilt in two or three days. So, you know, any spots where, uh, you know, that's a pretty miraculous result and and something that, you know, sticks with us. We're like, oh, uh, that's a huge conversion. Like any places where cloud has been a little miraculous for Streetlight?
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, like I said, being able to burst 10,000 cores on demand and yeah. then throw them away 10 minutes later or you know, 10 hours later. That is something you could not have done anywhere else with any other technology set. So that once a month, we've got, I don't know, a couple billion trips of data coming off of those devices, and we want to map them on to the real physical roads so that like, oh, the point wasn't here, it was here, it was here, it was here, it was here. Well, you know, he took a left, he took a right, he sped up, he slowed down, you know, on those roads and pulling them out of all those GPS circles um, it was just not possible earlier. Same thing that um, real-time inferencing, like you could have a trained up, you know, machine learning model, but throw some cores at it, you know, just get it like buzz sawing away through your data and then you're done. So yeah. I don't yeah, want to keep paying for those burst, things.
0: The burst ability is, is totally incredible. I mean, I remember yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh I was going through um, describing the architecture that we used to live stream the video from the Mars rover uh, when mm-hmm. the opportunity uh, rover landed which was which was just an incredible moment and of course that whole infrastructure didn't exist and then we turned it all on and ran this live stream and then shut it all back down and right. uh, doing this presentation and, and the 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 Prizo coordinators the folks that were running this conference had Really aggressively encouraged uh, like feisty confrontational, you know, aggressive Twitter engagement to really try and like get a constructive dialogue and some you know let's be let's be real and you know dig in on you know and, and so there were a bunch of people who are like, you know this is you know this is a big complicated topology, and I don't know, maybe I could have done it this way there was a bunch of hypotheticals about how they could have sure. the next presenter was describing what it would take to build a data center and what the current like best practices and correct components on all the rest. The feedback for this guy, the one that I remember, he was, was like this developer who was sitting in the front row was, I would rather write a compiler than do all of this stuff,
1: exactly. right? which,
0: is, which is true, right? Like the, the and it, it's one thing to think about, you know, the cost profile of all that, mm. frame, right? Like you gotta figure out somebody who's gonna loan you 20 million bucks in gear to be able to have 10,000 cores laying around, it, or maybe it's 2 yeah. million
1: and then that. hand them back yeah you know, and then, like, after oh, they've God. depreciated oh, or whatever
0: it's oh, great like
1: oh my gosh yeah but i just use them you know here at our company about two days a month mm-hmm. well and and in- but i use them every month yeah and so i can't you know who's gonna like build the data center destroy it build sure. it destroy it every month it's a new pattern
0: yeah plus you know just this is now a couple of weeks ago, I'm interested in in if you've done a run already, Um, you know, I think for the entirety of my history working in public cloud, uh, it's been an all Intel game. I mean, there was Amazon kind of jumped up and had these Graviton processors where they were gonna do ARM. Mm -hmm. uh, And then uh, Google now has did this announcement where they have- all the
1: MD cores? Is the
0: N2Ds, yeah. Yeah. Have you done any runs with those?
1: Um, We just shifted that ten thousand plus core load um, to N twos this last month. It's now in production there. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm a little annoyed at having to like. Okay, now I want to pilot it on another chipset and let's see what the cost savings will be. Sure. Um, You know, we did get it did speed up by about thirty percent. The cost only went up about ten percent, just like they advertised. So life is good. Probably in a month or two, we'll do that, but also I've got to wait until they say there's enough of those cores there um, that I can, you know, because if I only get a thousand cores, I can't use it.
0: Yeah. So, no. Yeah, um, Capacity remains the monster, yeah. whether it's yours or somebody else's for sure.
1: Yeah. I think- um, but when they roll out a new chip, like once it's really, you know, they've decided to stick with it and they buy a ton of it, mm-hmm. yeah, then, we'll, then we test it out. I'm the sort of curmudgeonly CTO that believes my job is to remove technology risk from my business. We have plenty of business risk. Like maybe nobody wants the product. Maybe they want a different product. Maybe it takes two years to sell it. Maybe they won't pay enough. Sure. That's fine. Businesses should have that risk. They shouldn't have technology risk. The stuff should just work. Yeah. So yeah. No, I'll I
0: mean- uh,
1: wait till the new cores have they have decided to stick with them and pump them out. I'll always play with these things, but we'll never deploy until, like, you know, it's way late in the game. I'm so glad I skipped Hadoop, for instance. Uh, We had investors telling us, like, your CTO's an idiot. We're not investing in him because you didn't build it on Hadoop. Hadoop didn't last. I mean, I think think Spark could stick, Mm -hmm. but um, I'd still like to see a couple more years on it before I'm gonna move my pipelines over. Sure. Um, you know, I want all the tooling, you know, all the infrastructure, ideally seeing sort of five plus years behind anything. Um, yeah. So that it's just brain dead reliable and you know, let's live with the business risk.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, my my startup, uh, you know, Hadoop literally saved our business. Mm. Uh, but but then again, that was in two thousand yeah, <laughs> right? and seven. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, the number of options that were available was substantially smaller, and yeah. that Google Googlers internally look at these kinds of problems, and 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 then immediately prompt their their autocomplete on their computer to respond instead of them. Uh, but uh, you know, it's it's an easy thing for them to go ah. You know, Google hasn't used MapReduce in a long time. We've, we've deleted all those clusters. We know we actually deleted the thing that came out from MapReduce and now everything's Dremel and you should be all on BigQuery. And, uh, but you're, you're right to, to look at what we see from a lot of customers is, you know, it's, it's deep, deep compatibility and right. all of the rich features. Right. I mean, I remember when uh, you know, there were, it was kind of a big hubbub that all of a sudden MongoDB had gotten some G- GIS extensions and we're like, oh whoa, like they're gonna be for real all of a sudden. Like, okay, cool. Yeah.
1: Like, you know, same thing with BigQuery. They just pushed uh, pushed out. We've been in the alpha of BQ GIS oh. since it came out. Right. Um, you know, that's probably the next piece of technology that I would bring in. Yeah, um, you know, it's still the tooling, it's not just the database, but I I want to see the tooling around it. Do the ETL tools all support it natively? Are there the, you know, JDBC plugins for everything, you know, natively everywhere and robust? Um, You know, is it all fully built out? How do I get sort of predictable response out of it? How do I cost effectively manage it? They just are just pushed out, you know, pre-purchased and reserved pods in you know, in BigQuery. So how, you know, can I play that? How much? would it save me over my Postgres instance of those 300 cores? You know, what would new spend versus old spend look like? Yep. Um, you know, yep. For, for response time on my f- physical SSDs versus them pulling from cloud storage. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Am yeah, I still we, gonna get the same thing, you know, same fast answers?
0: Yeah, these, these questions are intensely near and dear to my heart. I, I spent a bunch of cycles uh, pushing on the benchmarking platform uh, PerfKit benchmarker, mm-hmm. uh, open source toolkit for for running these, and uh, and and then also, um, and the one who stood up together with Ben Trainer and Urs Holtzley, the TCO calculators for Google Cloud that then eventually had to get pulled offline. So those like it is one of the things that I that I'm proud of at Sada where we do get to interact with customers and and help help them think through the business dynamics, the cost and performance, mm-hmm. availability and risk avoidance and all of that in the technology decisions that they make. Um, but I know that there's there's just a huge amount of, you know, effectively tooling, right? Like we need better pre-built existing analyses of, of some of the interrelationships so, so that smart folks like us can just be working on the gnarly bits that are maybe not as well understood, your specific queries on your specific subset of data, right? Like, right. That stuff that that's going to make a difference in your decision
1: yeah i need the debugger for for bigquery gi so i can look at the query plans yeah and figure out why this query is fast and that one is slow um you know it's all of that next level of tooling and maturity that i need to see in a platform
0: yep yeah no and i think what's what's been great for us as we've now interacted even more with the broader set of product management i mean there there's definitely an urge uh, on the google side to to continue to take some of the sort of rocket science that sits inside the primary business and polish it up for shipping to the world but one of the things that's so hard about uh, about those kinds of approaches is often all of the enablement and support structures around those were designed for these native google tools that yep. sit internally that aren't being shipped and so it's like well cool like you know you talk to that Database over GRPC, which is really a weird way to do it in the rest of the world. Like, how you know whatever? How are you making it so I can plug into the applications I've already built or the components? So
1: yeah, exactly. Their load balancer that they pushed out in Google Cloud is amazing. Oh, yeah. That is like an, an infinitely auto-scaling load balancer mm-hmm. that lives up to its name. Yeah, but in the earlier days of it, it was buggy. It would only work on some protocols, on certain sure. ports. You you know would have a hard time understanding when it was going to scale your instances, when it wasn't, um, you know, I can see how they would have been happy with it internally, but it took them another year or so to polish it and get mm-hmm. it out there. But um, we have always had one of those for a couple of years now, feeding those 10,000 cores, just tons and tons of data and transactions. Um, but it was a little bumpy at the beginning.
0: Yeah. it's. It's one of the things that I really liked, right? I mean, seeing high-scale operations at mm-hmm. AWS, right? I mean, I was I hung out and did Netflix planning sessions and spent a bunch of cycles with the people at Splunk as they built up that backend and
1: mm-hmm. you know have, uh,
0: the indexing systems for Dropbox, right? Big, big infrastructures, and there were you know immensely potent and high-performance systems being driven around by like one and two people <laughs> mm-hmm. and for whom the operational characteristics were absolutely dependent on how long their lunch was and stuff. So, yeah. you know, Google, I think in in a bunch of spots took a little longer to ship individual features or to get individual capabilities ready to go,
1: but- Well, they also started later too. Sure. I mean, that that's
0: that's kind of a given piece, but when they resolved, an individual problem. If they said like, we have gotten, you know, this bit completely ready to go. They really, I found very few moments where they were just totally wrong and it wasn't ready. Yes.
1: At all. Like, yes. And that's probably the biggest reason that we selected Google over Amazon. So we were initially on Rackspace sure. for two years. Um, Google didn't exist. Amazon was too expensive and worse in the earlier days, Amazon charged for disk IO sure um and so running a really large database at scale this if you if i'm getting charged by the iop it would just sink my business sure so that's why we're at rackspace um you know as the only alternative really mm-hmm. at the end of the day using the iron there they fell apart as oh, you yeah. know but google yeah google built things the way i liked to see them built You know, they built the cool tech, they built out the infrastructure stuff really, really solid and left, you know, the higher end, the high level pieces in the stack, you know, to Amazon. Mm -hmm. You know, they focus on giving you a good load balancer, Mm -hmm. giving you an amazing, you know, um, SAN infrastructure. And that's what Mm -hmm. I wanted.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I remember the Spotify folks, their comment was, yeah, you don't have all the buttons, but the ones you have, they're weapons grade. We like <laughs> Basically. <them.
1: laughs> so yeah. Be fun. Yeah, well, fans, They have the right ones. You know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. No. And I mean, I think it's, uh, it, we're in a market where, you know, the companies that I work with and spend most cycles with, this is... Uh, you know, this is not like a corner of their company. And over here, they have this weird little experiment. It, this is the the center line, the beating heart of businesses. If these oh, yeah. 100%
1: of our infrastructure is at Google Cloud. I mean, I've got a rack of VMs here that we do a little bit of local prototyping on. Sure. But I'm keeping on there. I think, one 160th of one <laughs> month's worth of data, you know, <laughs> to play with. And that's a big deal. It's on a you know a local SAN and it's it's on like ten thousand dollars worth of hardware. Sure. Um exactly right. you know that that we purchased one 160th of one month is right. what we prototype with here. Right. Um, and then you push it to the cloud to play with the real thing.
0: Yep, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I really appreciate you taking the cycles with us. I, I hope that that our audience will take as much away from it at least as i did i, I thought this was super interesting any you know any last questions for me or, or other bits that you wanted to say to our audience i I'm, I'm super excited about how this all went
1: no i've just loved working with sada loved working with google and the google cloud products that they've pushed out and it has made our business possible no oh, that's awesome well paul thank you so much thank you great talking with you Groovy.
0: Thank you for listening to Cloud & Clear. Check the show notes for links to this week's topics. And don't forget to connect with us on Twitter at Cloud & Clear and our website, sada.com. Be sure to rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app.